Hi, I'm Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic. And I'm Father Gregory Pine. And you're listening to the Catholic Classics Podcast, where we seek to grow our prayer lives by learning from the Church's greatest saints and teachers. Spiritual reading can be challenging for many Catholics, so this podcast is here to help. Each season, we'll read through a great work, unpack its timeless wisdom, and encourage you with practical tips for the pursuit of holiness. The Catholic Classics Podcast is brought to you by Ascension. This season, we're reading Ascension's edition of Introduction to the Devout Life by St. Francis de Sales. To get your copy of the book and download the reading plan for this season, visit ascensionpress.com slash catholicclassics or text intro to 33777. Be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast app. This is day 11. Today, we'll be reading part two, Instructions for Elevating the Soul to God Through Prayer and the Sacraments, chapters 15 through 18, pages 151 through 160 in the Ascension edition of the book. Before we get into the reading, though, a quick look at what we'll be covering today. In this second part of Introduction to the Devout Life, St. Francis has been talking about the two tools or means of deepening our devotion, prayer and the sacraments. The first handful of chapters was on the first part, prayer and meditation, and we've been focusing on that. Now we turn to the second, though, the sacraments. We've talked about the point that St. Francis made regarding the, the union of prayer, the union of meditation, of service, of worship, of who we are entirely into prayer, that God wants all of us. Uh, so too with the sacraments. The sacraments are a necessary part of this union of, of the devout life. The sacraments are instruments or tools or dispensers of God's grace. And through the seven sacraments, we receive God's divine life. We're healed from our wounds or from the wounds of sin and transformed to be his saints. Today, we'll talk about the sacraments, but focus a bit on Holy Communion, how to receive it well, how to receive it devoutly, as St. Francis explains, and also a few words on how the saints fit into this devout life that we are pursuing. So before we get into the reading, let's say a quick prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Grant us grace, O merciful God, to desire ardently all that is pleasing to thee, to examine it prudently, to acknowledge it truthfully, and to accomplish it perfectly. For the praise and glory of thy name. Amen. Chapter 15. Concerning Public and Communal Exercises. On Sundays and holy days, besides going to the holy sacrifice of the Mass, Philothea, you must also be present at Vespers and the other hours of the Divine Office, so far as you are able. For as these days are dedicated to God, we should perform more acts to this honor and glory on them than on others. And this way you will experience a thousand sweet drafts of devotion, as did St. Augustine who writes in his confessions that hearing the divine offices at the beginning of his conversion, his heart melted in tenderness and his eyes were filled with tears of piety. And indeed, to say it once and for all, there is always more benefit and consolation to be found in the public offices of the church than in private acts, for God has ordained that communal prayer should be preferred over individual. Therefore, willingly join the confraternities established where you reside, especially those whose exercise are most fruitful and edifying. In doing so, you practice a kind of obedience acceptable to God. For although these confraternities are not commanded of us, they are nevertheless recommended by the Church, who, in witness of her approval of them, grants them certain privileges. 
Moreover, it is always a charitable thing to come together with others and to cooperate with them in their good designs, for although our spiritual exercises should be as good when performed in private as in the company of our fellow members, and we even perhaps should take more pleasure in performing them in private, nonetheless, God is more glorified when we are united and share together in our good deeds as brethren and neighbors." The same might be said concerning all sorts of public prayers and devotions, in which we should, as much as possible, contribute our good example for the edification of our neighbors and our affections to the glory of God and for the shared intention of all. Chapter 16. How We Are to Honor and Invoke the Saints Since God so often sends up inspirations by means of his angels, we should return our own aspirations through this same means. The souls of the blessed in paradise who are, in our Lord's own words, like angels in heaven, fulfill the same office, sending us inspirations and expressing spiritual longings on our behalf, expressed in their prayers. Therefore, my dear Philothea, let us gladly join our hearts with these heavenly spirits and blessed souls. For even as the newborn nightingale learns to sing from older birds, so too through our sacred dealings with the saints we shall learn better to pray and sing the praises of the Lord. As David said, I will sing psalms to you in the sight of your angels. Honor, revere, and respect the Blessed Virgin Mary with a particular love. She is the mother of our Sovereign Lord, and therefore we are her children. Thus, let us turn to her, and as her little children, let us cast ourselves into her embrace with full confidence. At all times and places, let us call upon this sweet mother, invoking her maternal love, and let us strive to imitate her virtues with a truly filial love for her in our hearts. Strive to have close familiarity with the angels. Bear in mind that they are often present, though invisible. Have particular love and reverence for the guardian angel of the diocese in which you live, those of the friends who surround you, and your own. Pray to them frequently, sing their praise regularly, and seek their protection and support in all you do, whether it be spiritual or temporal, so that they might work with you in your intentions. The great Peter Faber, the first priest, first preacher, and first teacher of theology for Jesuits, indeed the first companion of their founder St. Ignatius, one day was on the way from Germany where he had been laboring greatly for God's glory. He passed through this diocese, the place of his birth, and spoke of the thousands of consolations he had experienced as he went through many lands filled with heretics, receiving this comfort from the guardian angels of those places their help often preserving him from danger, and making those who heard him sweet and docile of heart, so that they might receive the faith. He told this tale with such sincerity that a lady who heard his words from his very own mouth when she was quite young was so impressed that she repeated with great feeling his words to me only four years ago, sixty years after he had spoken them. Just last year, I had the great honor to consecrate an altar in the place where it pleased God to give that blessed man birth the little village of Villaray, amid our most rugged mountains. Therefore, choose certain particular saints so that you might better appreciate and imitate their lives and may beseech them, with a kind of shared heart, to offer prayers on your behalf. In particular, the saint bearing your own baptismal name seems to be the most particularly appointed to you. Chapter 17. How We Should Hear and Read God's Word Revere God's word, whether you hear it in familiar conversation with your spiritual friends or in a sermon. Always listen to it attentively and reverently. 
Draw from it all the profit you possibly can. Do not allow it to fall to the ground fruitlessly, but rather receive it into your heart like a precious balm, imitating the mother of God who kept and pondered in her heart all the things which were spoken in praise of her son. Remember that our Lord gathers up the words we speak to him in our prayers to the degree that we gather together those he speaks to us through preaching. Always have in hand a good devotional book, such as those of St. Bonaventure, Jean Gerson, Denis the Carthusian, Louis de Bois, Louis de Granada, Diego Stella, Francisco Arias, Luca Pinelli, Louis de la Puenta, Teresa of Avila, The Spiritual Combat, St. Augustine's Confessions, St. Jerome's Letters, and other such works. Each day, read a little in them with great devotion, as if you were reading a letter sent to you from heaven from the saints to show you the way and to encourage you to push onward toward our heavenly homeland. Likewise, read the histories and lives of the saints in which, as in a mirror, you may see an image of the Christian life. Adapt their actions to your own benefit in your particular state of life, for although many deeds of the saints cannot be directly imitated by men and women living in the midst of the world, nonetheless they may all be followed at a greater or less distance. For example, the solitude of St. Paul the First Hermit is imitated in the spiritual and physical retreats that we spoke about earlier and will discuss more later as well. The extreme poverty of St. Francis can be imitated through the practices of poverty that we also shall speak of. Such is true likewise for all the rest. It is true that some of their stories provide more light for our lives' conduct than do others, as is particularly true for that of Teresa, which is admirable in this regard, as also are the lives of the first Jesuits, St. Charles Borromeo, the Archbishop of Milan, St. Louis, St. Bernard, the Chronicles of St. Francis, and others. Then there are others that are more of use for admiration than imitation, such as the life of St. Mary of Egypt, St. Simeon Stylites, the two saints Catherine of Siena and of Genoa, St. Angela, etc., which nonetheless do not fail to provide great delight in general for the love of God. Chapter 18. How We Ought to Receive Inspirations By inspirations, we mean all those interior attractions, movements, reproaches, feelings of remorse, illuminations, and instructions brought about within us by God, entering our heart with his blessings, through his fatherly care and love, in order to awaken, stimulate, urge, and attract us to the practice of holy virtues, to heavenly love, to good resolutions, and in a word, to everything that may help us on our way to eternal happiness. This is what the spouse calls knocking at the door and speaking to the heart of his spouse, awakening her when she sleeps, calling after her when she is absent, inviting her to eat of his honey and to gather apples and flowers in his garden, to sing and allow her sweet voice to resound in his ears. In order for you to understand me more fully, allow an analogy. For marriage, three things are needed at once with respect to the woman who is to be married. First, the bridegroom proposes to her. Second, she accepts this proposition. Third, she gives her consent. Similarly, when God wills to perform within us, through us, and with us some act of great love, he first proposes it to us by way of inspiration. Then, secondly, we are pleased with it, and thirdly, we give our full consent to it. For just as we descend to the commission of sin by way of three steps, temptation, delectation, or delight, and consent, So too there are three steps in the ascent to virtue, inspiration, which is the opposite of temptation, the delectation conceived in the inspiration, which is the opposite of the delectation involved in temptation, and consent to the inspiration, which is the opposite of the consent to temptation. 
Now, even if such inspiration should endure through the whole of our lives, nonetheless, we should not render ourselves pleasing to God if we took no delight in it. Much to the contrary, his divine majesty would be offended at us, just as he was at the Israelites, whom, as he says, he beseeched for forty years that they might be converted, though they would not hear him. Thus he swore in his anger that they should not enter into his rest. In like manner, if a gentleman were to propose to a woman over a long course of time and she would not hearken to his request, he would be offended at this. The pleasure we take in inspirations is a great stride toward the glory of God, and that way we already begin to please his divine majesty. For although this delight is not yet full consent, it is a kind of disposition toward so consenting. And if it is a good sign that someone takes pleasure in hearing the word of God, which is, as it were, a kind of external inspiration, it must be a good and pleasing thing to God for someone to take delight in his interior inspirations. This is the kind of pleasure spoken of by the sacred spouse when she says, My soul melted when my beloved spoke. So too, a gentleman is already well pleased with the lady whom he addresses and judges himself to be favored when he sees that she takes delight in his words to her. However, ultimately, consent is what perfects the virtuous act. For if, after receiving and taking pleasure in God's inspiration, we nevertheless refuse to consent to him, we are thereby utterly ungrateful persons and greatly offend his divine majesty, for we thus appear to despise his favors. So too the spouse's heart had been touched by the sweet voice of her beloved with a holy pleasure. Nonetheless, she would not open the door to him, but instead made a frivolous excuse. Thus her spouse, justly displeased at this, went away and left her. So too if a gentleman who has long sought after a lady's hand and has warmly addressed her should then be at last shaken off and despised by her, he would have much more reason for discontent than if he had never been encouraged to seek her hand. Thus, my dear Philothea, resolve to readily receive all the inspirations it shall please God to send you, and when they arrive, receive them as though they were ambassadors of the King of Heaven, who desires to be wed to you. Calmly heed what they propose, consider the love with which you are inspired, and cherish such holy inspiration. Consent, but do so with a full, loving, and steadfast consent, for in this way God, whom you cannot in fact bestow favor upon, will nonetheless hold himself to be greatly favored by your good will. However, before you consent to inspirations in things that are of great importance or that do not lie along the ordinary ways of your life, always consult your spiritual director, so that he may determine whether it is a true or false inspiration. For the enemy, seeing a soul ready to consent to inspirations, often proposes false ones in order to deceive her. However, he will forever be prevented in this, so long as she humbly obeys her director. Once you give your consent, then, you must be diligent in action and hasten to put this inspiration into action, which marks out the lofty heights of true virtue. For to have consent in heart without pushing onward to the ultimate result would be like planting a vine that you intended not to come to fruit. Now, what contributes marvelously to all this is good practice of the morning exercise and spiritual retreats recommended earlier. For by them we prepare ourselves to do what is good, not only in a general way, but also through particularized preparation. Okay, we've turned our attention from prayer, from meditation, not leaving it behind, bringing it with us, but turning our attention now to the sacraments. At this point, I think it's worth, Father Gregory, to talk about the sacraments just briefly in general. What are they? 
why are they? And then St. Francis focuses his attention on Holy Communion. So we'll go to that next, but at least like out, what are the sacraments? A lot of our listeners might already know, but it's good to be to be up on the same page together. Sure. So God creates us so that we can enjoy his divine life. It's the very purpose for which we're created. But we sinned and we lost that initial offer of divine life. So God, in his wisdom, sought to recreate us by offering or issuing the life of grace anew and afresh in his son, uh, his only begotten son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who took to himself human flesh. And our Lord passed through a variety of mysteries during the course of his life. We think especially of his passion, death, and resurrection. And those mysteries merit our salvation. They satisfy for our sins. They offer a pleasing sacrifice, and they afford us an entry into the divine life now in his sacred flesh. And our Lord ascends, and before ascending, he institutes his church and his sacraments so as to continue to dispense to us, to mediate to us that grace which he merited during his earthly life uh, so that we could have this contact with him, with his redemption, and ultimately be reincorporated into the Trinitarian communion for which we are destined. So the sacraments are visible signs of an invisible grace instituted by our Lord Jesus Christ for our salvation. And... As we probably know, as I mentioned, that's why you might know if you didn't know there's there's seven. Um, so we <laughs> there you go, right? Uh, spoiler alert. Um, the sacraments. Sometimes we talk about like the sacramental economy, like the work, not like business money exchange, but like the work of what they do. And it's important to realize that the sacraments are are present throughout the entirety of our lives. You know, they they sanctify the whole of, of our lives. So we can think of the sacraments of initiation uh, that start with baptism. Uh, so we have baptism, we have confirmation, and we have communion, First Holy Communion, or the Eucharist, which we're going to talk about in just a second. And then we have the sacraments, what we talk about, the sacraments of of healing, um, sacrament of penance, confession, which we've already talked about in the first part of, of this book, sacrament of anointing the sick, so at our, towards the end of our life, at the end of our life. And then we have the sacraments of vocation sometimes, or states of life. We have matrimony, marriage, and holy orders and ordination. So they all work together to feed the church and to make us holy. Now, we're going to focus, though, on, on communion, um, what it is and why. St. Francis calls it the son of all spiritual exercises, going to receive communion. And I, that's great. I not, I've not heard that before reading St. Francis. Something that some of you might be more familiar with that I'm more familiar with is what the Second Vatican Council calls um, the, the Holy Communion, is, is that it's the source and summit of the Christian life. And we could say here the devout life, even. So, why does Saint Francis talk about Holy Communion? Why is it the the son of all spiritual exercises? Why is it the source and summit of the Christian life? Why is it so important for the devout life? Yes. Yeah, so you can answer that question in a variety of ways. Uh, first, I would say is so the Eucharist is our spiritual nourishment. So just like we you know eat and drink in the course of our bodily life, so too we eat and drink in the course of our spiritual life. So it's the fuel, it's the energy which sustains us in our devout life. Also, the whole sacramental economy, as you described it, uh, culminates in the celebration of the Eucharist. It all kind of tends towards the Eucharist. And you think about this, like a lot of sacraments, they take place in the context of liturgies, which eventually culminate right in the confecting of our Lord's body and blood. Uh, there's also the sense in which the Eucharist is the greatest sacrament because while all the sacraments make God present, they make our Lord Jesus Christ present under signs, right? Under the appearance of certain signs. So like 
baptism, for instance, you pour water and pronounce the Trinitarian formula, and our Lord's, you know, healing and elevating grace is dispensed in that act. So that we would say that he is sacramentally present, which is to say he is present through the signs or through signification, to use a kind of jargony word. Uh, but in the case of the Eucharist, not only is he present sacramentally through the signs of the liturgy, but he's also present substantially because what is signified, so like the signs themselves point to the fact that he is here in the mode of substance to use technical language, but to make that more comprehensible in ordinary speech, we would say that whereas the other sacraments signify his power, the Eucharist signifies his bodily presence, body, blood, soul, and divinity. Um, so in this sense, the Eucharist is, you know, as St. Francis de Sales says, it's the son of all spiritual exercises. The Second Vatican Council says it's the source and summit of the Christian life, but it's, it's the direction towards which our gaze tends because we want to be with him. You know, we want to we recover this godly gaze that we lost by sin and that our whole spiritual life is seeking to reanimate, to kind of re-inspire in the depths of our hearts. Yeah, this is why Eucharistic devotion, whether it's in the reception of communion, whether it's going to Mass, whether it's going to adoration, this is why the Eucharist has such a central um, uh, role in our devout life, in our spiritual life, and why St. Francis focuses on it, because it's Christ. It's how Christ chose to be with us in the Eucharist. And now we might think, well, that's weird. Why would he choose those kind of means, those sort of things? That's, I guess, for this conversation, neither here nor there. But the fact is that he did choose. So this is how he invites us to share in his life, to consume him, to um, be part of him, body and soul. So uh, there's, yeah, a great mystery here, but also a great invitation. One of the things that 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 St. Francis recommends in these chapters is is attendance at daily mass uh, as as Catholics were obliged to go to mass on Sundays. But another great spiritual sort of practice is going to daily mass. I think a lot of us know, I know I'm a priest, Father Gregory knows, and I think a lot of our listeners know that their mass is offered every day, but some people are unfamiliar with that fact that you could go to mass Monday through Saturday as well. Um, so St. Francis recommends that as something to encourage our devotion to daily mass. And this also harkens back to the, the point that we were making in previous episodes and we'll continue to make that the devout life is about the entirety of our lives. You know, we can look at different ways to shape and form our day and that includes mass. So there's that. And there's also what St. Francis helps us to, to do here is how to pray the mass, right? We don't want to divorce the mass from prayer. So Father Gregory, maybe a few words on like, what do you think about, I mean, he gives a few steps here that we heard in the reading, but about praying and meditating because we're moving from our meditation to the sacraments, um, meditating on the things of the Mass. Yeah, I think here of St. Thomas Aquinas's description, I know we're talking about St. Francis de Sales, but being Dominicans, we can't help ourselves. And, and for him, he frames our entry into the sacred liturgy in terms of intention and attention. He says, all right, you're showing up, uh, you're present bodily, you want to be present there spiritually, you do that by saying, this is my intention, to be present to this Mass, to draw forth from it, all of the gifts and graces that God is giving so lavishly, so generously. And then he says, next, you know, as a way of sharpening that intention, we pay attention, you know, so you pay attention to the words, the sense of the words, the realities communicated by the sense of the words. And what we have here with St. Francis de Sales is a kind of simple way to intend and attend to the Mass. And so he takes us through, you know, the beginning of the Mass, and then what we would call the Liturgy of the Word, what he would have called the Mass of the Catechumens, 
uh, the proclamation of the gospel especially, and then our entry into the, the liturgy of the Eucharist, okay? So as we approach this high point of the sacred liturgy, namely the consecration and then our reception of Holy Communion, our prayer is going to take that shape, right? So we're thinking about the fact that the Mass is a sacrifice, and we want to offer spiritual sacrifice of our lives and of our intentions. We also want to think about the fact that that the Mass is revelation. And so when the Word is proclaimed and the preacher preaches, um, that we are receiving an ongoing act whereby God manifests himself and communicates himself to us. So we want to open ourselves to that. Uh, but, you know, most especially when we receive Holy Communion, we receive him, body, blood, soul, and divinity. And whereas in the ordinary course, when you eat something, it becomes you, right? You eat some food and then it becomes energy, which you subsequently use as work. Uh, in the case of receiving Holy Communion, we become it, right? We become more perfectly uh, the mystical body of our Lord Jesus Christ, head and members. So we want to give ourselves to that by attending to the act so that we're not like writing lists of things that we need to do later in the day on our hands such that when we go up to Holy Communion, it's like, oh, yikes, scary. Um, so these are just some of the things that he proposes for our consideration. Yeah, I think thinking of, or thinking about the Mass as prayer is really sort of crucial to our devout life. And often it might just be an obligation or something that yeah, it's just something that we have to do or we should do. But if we approach it as 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 prayer and pray through the mass, you know, it, it could be helpful to have like a, a daily missile or like a missalette, whether that's, you know, something that's printed each month, like a Magnificat or something like that. So as to be familiar with the prayers, be um, familiar with the words, to stay focused and attentive. Now, like we talked about dryness in prayer before there can be dryness, distraction at mass, fine. We've talked about, and St. Francis has instructed us in ways to go about dealing with, living with those realities. But um, the mass is really the height of our devotion of our devout life of our of our prayer the eucharist is the height of these things that's why it's the source it's the beginning christ is the beginning and the summit it's the height of that um so we we ought to sort of form our minds around that approach mass around those around those points um i guess one one final point for the episode today on these from these chapters is perhaps considering the saints intercessory role in our prayer and in our you know it's interesting here that that saint francis i found it interesting that saint francis talks about the saints here within the context of the sacraments and just after talking about holy communion rather than like meditation or i mean he talks about them elsewhere but yeah how do how do the saints fit into this particularly with respect to communion and mass in our pursuit of the devout life here what do you think yeah there's um a line that you sometimes hear quoted, especially in the 20th century, that the church makes the Eucharist and the Eucharist makes the church, which is to say that, you know, the true celebration of the mass takes place within the church instituted by Christ and its ordained ministers are instrumental in that. But also, you know, making the Eucharist, right, that Eucharist makes us yet more perfectly the church for reasons that we've already described. But when we think about the church, we're not just thinking about those of us here on earth, the church militant, but also those in purgatory, the church suffering, and then those in heaven, the church triumphant. And what the church is ultimately, you know, like the word that we have in Latin, ecclesia means to be called out of and called together, right? So it's a communion. It's a communion of persons 
uh, in the communion of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the saints still have a role in our worshiping lives. They intercede for us. Also, we draw a certain strength by by venerating them, um, by observing the ways in which they knew and loved God, uh, which in turn become fruitful for our knowing and loving of God. So it's just a simple reminder to be in touch with realities beyond our immediate purview. You know, we think about our guardian angel, we think about our patron saints, especially those from whom we get our names or, you know, our confirmation patrons or whatever it might be. We want to introduce them into that conversation because they're already part of it. It's just a matter of whether we acknowledge them and address them. There you have it. Yeah, I think it's great to to think about our patrons and to develop devotion to them and to other saints who might intercede and be patrons of things that we need in our lives. Um, so those are those are great things if you haven't already to to consider and to take up into your into your own prayer into your own sacramental practice. So that's what we have for you today. I guess that's also what St. Francis has for you today. Be sure to follow us wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you'd like to hear some more of our conversations on other subjects, follow up with us and three of our brother priests on the podcast Godsplaining. There you will find weekly episodes on a variety of Catholic themes with occasional guests, scriptural meditations, and special series. You can find Godsplaining with any podcast app on YouTube and at godsplaining.org. Know of our prayers for you. Please pray for us, and we'll catch you next time on Catholic Classics.